even though I have been calling for a long time, one key thing that I would take away from in whatever you do is the ability to be consistent. I saw an opportunity during COVID where, you know, a lot of people kind of took their foot off the pedal because there was so much uncertainty as to what would happen in the market. You know, people are leaving California. And during the period of COVID, I just saw this as a way to reinvent myself, reinvent my goals in real estate, kind of reshift and recharge my efforts because I understood that this is a down period for the majority of people. But then for me, I saw opportunity, right? I'm going to apply the pressure when there's a fraction of investors applying the pressure. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Ruben Barraza again on the show. Ruben is a real estate investor based out of the Bay Area who is featured back on episode 55, where he came on the show to talk about the struggles of being a new investor and the challenges that comes with starting a new venture. On this episode, Ruben is back to give us an exciting update with his real estate investing career and his story of how he wholesaled his first deal for $50,000. So if you've been struggling to get into real estate investing and you need a shot of inspiration, then you need to listen to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend to help them learn more about real estate investing. And if you're looking for a hard money loan, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. We can do a 12-month bridge loan for your fix and flip projects or a 30-year fixed loan for your rental properties. And now, on to the show. All right, Ruben, thank you so much for coming back on our show today. Ruben was on our show way back in May of 2019 on episode number 55. You can go ahead and check out that episode back in the logs. But for those of our listeners who don't know you, Ruben, do you want to introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do? Yeah. So my name is Ruben. I'm a Bay Area real estate investor. I am behind the brand of Green Electric Properties and have been investing or at least in the real estate investing scene since maybe 2000, late 2017, 2018. It's been a while, but yeah, that's me. And the reason why we're back here today is because something super exciting happened just a few weeks ago. Do you want to tell us your story of what happened? So as of the middle of January of 2020, I finally closed or wholesaled my first deal, but also will be working on the back end to, you know, rehab the property and see it go back in the market. So, which is very exciting, very, very exciting. Yeah. So after, you know, three years of kind of being surrounded by real estate investors and not having anything concrete, you finally have, you know, it's not even that you are in the middle of a project, but you actually got paid out from a wholesale deal. And it's great that you're also able to kind of work with the people that bought the property to also kind of oversee some of the construction parts as like a pseudo project manager. So you can get some experience in the flipping side as well. Exactly, exactly. And so not only was there some earnings to be made on the front end, but we'll also be seeing something on the back end as well, which I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming, you know, everybody else is excited about it as well, since there is a large margin on this property. And so I'm excited because everyone's going to be, you know, winning on this property. Exactly. And, you know, as a lender, we were also very happy to see that two of my good friends are winning from this deal. And we were very happy to do your loan for you guys as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a part of that and providing that loan. Yeah. I wasn't aware that, you know, you were involved until uh, Sean 
brought it up and i was like oh my god this is coming full circle yeah and i'm like calling we're three way we're like what's up guys what's going on let's make this deal happen let's do it yeah yeah let's talk about the entire story like how did you even find this deal what was it and what made you think this is a good deal for us so i originally uh, found this deal through cold calling agents i was cold calling and you know agents you know for the last four months consistently and then Right in the beginning of December, I had cold called an agent and the next day she had called me back, right? Which was totally unexpected. I was actually thinking of not picking up the phone because I get so many spam calls that I wasn't you know, confident in picking up any number that I wasn't aware of or familiar with. And so I ended up picking up the call. The agent reintroduces her, herself. He's like, hey, we spoke yesterday. You introduced yourself to me. And, and the reason I'm giving you this call is because I currently have a client who is considering backing out of escrow. And she broke down the situation for me. And, you know, after she gave me the address, the details to the property, the address, kind of the situation of what was going on, I ran the comps uh, to the property and I passed on the property address and information to Sean, which I partnered up on this deal with. Just to be clear, that's not me. It's a different Sean, Sean Kelly Goggin. Yeah, Sean Kelly. And he saw what I saw. And as far as the potential on this property, right? And so me and him, you know, we came up with a price on what we could offer on this property. And we submitted the offer. It's funny. Yeah, we put an offer together. And a few days later, the offer was accepted. Yeah, so a few days later, we put an offer at 1.3, right? And this property, after you know, searching all the details, looking up the property, we learned that this property was in Woodside, right? And this is on the east side of Woodside. So Woodside kind of bleeds into Rabbit City, Emerald Hills, but most of Woodside sits on the west side of 280. If you're not familiar with 280, it's like the 101, but on the back end of the peninsula. And so, yeah, we made an offer on the property at 1.3. And quite honestly, we didn't think it was going to get accepted because it was very low. What was it listed for on the MLS? It had fallen out of escrow at 1.85. Wait, so the property was listed on the market for, or it was under escrow for 1.85 from someone else? Yeah, it was under escrow for 1.85, but I think it was listed for 1.9. And so... You know, after learning the situation, we sensed that there was a real need for the sellers to sell. And so like you understood that even though it's on the market and even though it was under escrow already for 1.85, you were confident enough to put an offer at 1.3? Yeah. How did you come up with 1.3? That's a super low number. Like, I'm surprised. You know, given the nature of, you know, what it would take to rehab the property, to make sure that I was able to get something on the front end to allow other partners to get something on the back end or, you know, make profit. We just, you know, came up with a price at 1.3. There was enough, what, like at that price, it would be good enough for any other investor that we brought in to make it worthwhile. But also leading up to that 1.3 was that we had learned that there was some erosion happening in the back of the property. So the back of the property faces a hill, right? We were warned that there was some erosion, but Obviously, to fix that, we'd have to do some erosion mitigation, right? So putting up a wall to prevent it from getting any worse. And then also most of the property was, well, a good original part of the property was in an original condition. So it was very, yeah, very original. Like everything was probably still in, in the 1970s, you know, stuck in the 1970s, 
right? I don't know how much original it can get, but yeah, after learning kind of the work that would need to be done, the timeline, but also learning that there was going to be you know tenants in there as well. And there was also yeah tenants in the property. We felt like at 1.3, we would be able to inherit any costs that came along with inheriting those tenants because the reason why the property had fallen out of escrow originally was because the buyers, they weren't confident that the tenants would move out after they purchased the property, right? The tenants were being so difficult that they essentially, you know, the people who were looking to buy it just were not going to deal with that headache, right? And so me and Sean strategized like, look, we could put it at 1.3. We'll inherit the tenants. There's some erosion work that needs to be done. There's some, you know, update that needs to be done in the property. So given everything, there's probably going to be, you know, 200K, 250K worth of work, plus, you know, a wholesale fee, plus three different investors being involved and wanting a share. Like 1.3 made sense, right? And so, yeah, after making that offer, we heard back from the agent who was actually representing the buyer and the seller at the same time. So she was pretty gutsy for doing that. You know, she came back to me and told me the offer was accepted, right? Which was a great feeling. It was very surprising, but also I had a feeling given the situation, I had a feeling that it was going to get accepted, right? Because they had originally wanted to sell, but then COVID hit, right? So they didn't know what the market was going to do, how it was going to react, and if they were going to be able to sell the property for the price that they wanted. And then also the tenants were putting up a fight. The situation was very, very messy, right? And so given that we were giving them a low offer, inheriting the tenants, and also considering all the rehabs that needed to be done in the property, it made sense to the agent, made sense to us. And at the end of the day, the seller had to do it or she was in a position where she didn't have any other choice. Right. And the agent came to me because I was on top of mind. I was the last person to call her. That's so cool. And you know, a lot of people ask, is it possible to find deals on the MLS? And I always tell them, dude, it's going to be hard. You know, if you see a fixer on the MLS, it just came out. It's probably going to be like tons of people who are going to go and overbid you. You're probably not going to get a deal that way. But on the other hand, you guys have like the ultimate example of finding a super sweet deal in the MLS, a property in Woodside, like one of the you know, very affluent areas of the Bay Area, uh, listed at 1.9 in original condition, dropped out of escrow at 1.85, and somehow you snuck in at 1.3. Mm-hmm. Freaking amazing. Yeah, and it's also funny about that situation is that when I was cold calling agents the day before, I was cold calling agents based on their recent sales within three months, right? giving me an idea that the agents that I'm calling are relatively active in this COVID market that we're in, right? And so instead of calling a long list of agents who I have no idea whether they're active or not, I decided to narrow it down to active agents who have sold something in the last three months, right? And so when I was looking you know, at the list of agents, I was just looking at properties that had sold and not currently on the MLS, right? So I had no idea this property was on the market. And so right before we made the offer, it was, we were doing our due diligence and all that stuff. And so I'm like, holy crap, I'm sneaking in during escrow. <laughs> and quite honestly, the agent and the seller, they didn't want to restart the whole process all over again. 
by throwing the property back on the market and having people go through the property to inspect it and all that stuff. They didn't want to have open house showings. And so given the situation, given our flexibility to handle unforeseen situations or just being flexible enough to provide you know, a solution for what they were going through. She felt that she was capable of working with us. We were capable of working with them and providing something that would help them move on from the current situation that they were in. That's incredible. So like, I know that even though right now the Bay Area market is super, super, super hot and you know, interest rates are really low and people are just buying properties off the shelf. There are some properties that I get forgotten in COVID. You know, I had a property like that too, and it sucks. It sucks as an agent to have a property sitting there for 200, 300 days with no activity. It, it looks really bad on your record too. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure she was very happy to just get that out of the way. Oh, absolutely. Another thing that you mentioned too, is that you're strategically calling specific types of agents, not just everyone in the phone book, but only people who have had recent sales in the past three months. And in fact, we actually did a video on that on YouTube. If you remember like a year and a half ago, you came to my yeah. house and we did that. We pulled that list. So like if anyone's interested in figuring out how to get this list of agents, you can go check out that video over on YouTube as well. But you've been calling for a long time and I know how hard it is to call agents, especially if you have no track record. So what was that experience like? Man, even though I have been calling for a long time, one key thing that I would take away from in whatever you do is the ability to be consistent, right? I saw an opportunity during COVID where, you know, a lot of people kind of took their foot off the pedal because there was so much uncertainty as to what would happen in the market. You know, people are leaving California. And during the period of COVID, I just saw this as a way to reinvent myself, reinvent my goals in real estate, kind of reshift and recharge my efforts. Because I understood that this is a down period for the majority of people. But then for me, I saw opportunity right? I'm going to apply the pressure when there's a fraction of investors applying the pressure, right? And so I made some goals. I stuck to those goals and knew if I wanted to come out of this, you know, crisis as a different person, as just a different character or a successful character, I knew that I had to apply the pressure and be consistent because in a sense, I was playing mind tricks with myself in order to be consistent. I was thinking about would the 50-year-old me be happy with what I'm doing now, right? Because what you do now you know, shapes your future, right? And so that thought of me being 50 years old and reflecting back to the things that I'm doing now and asking myself, what do I, you know, am I happy with the person I am now or am I happy of you know, the effort that I put in back in the day? You know, when I was late 20s, would I be happy? And just like really having that thought to myself, which really push me to be consistent, to do that activity every day, to really meet my daily goals, my weekly goals, my monthly goals. And so, you know, just by being persistent and having that thought and attaching it to an emotion really propelled me to wake up and apply the pressure, right? And so it helped me a lot to be consistent. What were some of those goals and like consistent things that you were doing? So there was a lot of goals around mental, you know, about my mental health, the way I spent my day, a lot of activities that I participated in. So for me, I had a lot of personal goals around fitness, around, you know, experiences, around, you know, family, personal development, right? And business, 
but the business was to at least call 10 agents a day, right? If I call 10 agents a day, I'd be calling 50 agents a week, 50 agents a week would then grow to be about 200 agents a month, which slowly would accumulate to being hundreds, possibly thousands of agents in a year, right? So around business, it was just calling agents, being proactive, and, you know, driving for dollars, just acting as a real estate investor, right? Just understanding the activities real estate investors take on on a day-to-day basis, right? Whether it's driving for dollars, cold calling, like the job itself is not pretty. And like you know, a lot of people mention that. It's like being a real estate investor, the activities you have to do, they're not pretty. They're not glamorous, right? But the outcome of, you know, achieving something or finding a deal, a lucrative, you know, profitable deal, that's what everyone strives for. And so, you know, I just had to get in the mud and do the dirty work. Like that's quite honestly how I viewed it. I'm like, I'm going to have to drive for dollars. I'm going to have to make cold calls. If I really want this, I'm going to have to do, these are activities that a real estate investor does, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just a constant cycle. You just have to do that unless you can systemize it or have you know, other people do it for you, right? That's in the future when you have a team and everything's going well. Yeah, exactly. But in the beginning, you kind of have to do everything yourself. You have to experience what it's like. You have to you know, experience the emotions, the feelings, experiences, uh, firsthand so that you can understand what it took to get where you're going or where you currently are. Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things that I did to keep my mindset sharp during COVID. And that was having a routine. That was reading books. That was eating healthy, going on runs, being outdoors, doing virtual meetups, like the ones that you host and literally just trying to stay as sharp as I could, honestly, because I know during COVID, a lot of people probably lost a foot or, you know, were in a position to not really move forward because they might've lost a job or whatnot. But the case for me is I was able to still hold my day job, but then after my day job, you know, do the real estate investing part. Yeah. So, I mean, there are people, I guess, from both branches. One is like hustle hard, especially now when no one else is hustling. And the other one is, Hey, it's okay to not hustle hard. Like, Self-care is important and all that stuff. So, I mean, I guess to each their own. Yeah. Now, when you got this deal on the contract, that wasn't the end of it, right? Like, it didn't close that smoothly, right? <laughs> Let's talk about the whole process. Like, what did you guys do after you got it under contract for 1.3? So, after we got it under contract for 1.3, I celebrated for like a few hours. And then after that, um, we had decided to use title company that the agent had recommended because of, you know, for some reason we were just like, all right, she's already working with this title company. Let's just not try to yeah, change things. Let's just go with the motion. Let's use our title company. So there's a break in there. Usually when a seller puts a property on the market, they usually open escrow and they treat their own title company. And usually the buyers just kind of go with that title company. So I guess you guys were in that similar situation where they already opened escrow with this particular title company. Yeah. So escrow was already open with a certain title company, I think in the peninsula. And so we decided to, you know, work through them. Right. I had met up with Sean to make sure that all documents were, you know, everything was signed on my end. And then also everything was signed on his end and, you know, the rest of the partners. And then we also discussed, you know, what a whole Sophie would look like. Right. We strategized the possibilities of how this deal could work. And we were all on board as to 
the direction that we were going with this project. And for me, I'm very, let's say, what do you call it? Compatible, right? I want to see it through. So whatever we have to do, let's do it. I just want to be able to experience it. I wasn't worrying about money too much, right? I just wanted to go through the process because I knew I had a solid deal in our hands, right? The margin was there, the comps were there to support it. And so, you know, after signing all the documents, we get to the stage where you know, they're going to produce a net sheet. But then uh, one of the escrow agents, she didn't want to process a wholesale fee document. I don't know what it was about it, but it was very complicated. It kind of flew over my head because it was my first time going through this process. And it could have been that the wording was off. It could have been, you know, that this agent or this escrow agent just didn't feel comfortable providing a wholesale fee or in her mind, she was seeing it as something else. And so, you know, after receiving some pushback from the escrow agent, we decided to go with another escrow company who was more, you know, compatible. She was more willing to work with us. And we came across this escrow company through Sean, who's very experienced, who has worked with them numerous times in other deals. And so going to them, he knew that she would, you know, that escrow agent would be able to process these documents. And so, you know, after handing over documents from one title company to another, it was a process how long did your escrow process get delayed? It delayed our escrow by two weeks. Wow. Yeah, two weeks or three weeks. So we were originally supposed to close by the end of 2020 on December 31st. And then on the last week of December, that's when we started getting pushback from you know the title company that we originally had gone with. And so first week of January, we were going through the process of transferring over the documents. But since there were so many parties involved, we were kind of going back and forth to make sure that every party involved were, was aligned on, on receiving the appropriate docs, signing the appropriate docs, and making sure that even the money lender was on the same page on providing whatever documents they needed to provide. So there was a lot of back and forth to make sure the appropriate docs were getting transferred. And so once the new title company received all the documents, there was one last signature that we needed, right? So the original seller, she was selling on behalf of her son, right? So she wasn't originally the power of attorney. So San Mateo County requested to have the actual power of attorney, the original power of attorney to sign final documents. And so as we're getting these documents or as the escrow title companies getting on these uh, documents processed and getting ready to, to submit it to the county and everything, the county told them that this power of attorney is not eligible to sign off on sell this property and we have to get the original power of attorney to sign off on this. And so the title company had to make an appointment with the original power of attorney who was behind bars, right? To sign off on the sale of the property. And that took about a couple of days. The reason it took a couple of days because that weekend was leading up to MLK weekend and Typically, I guess the jail, you could only make an appointment during appropriate business hours. And that Monday wasn't a business hours or business day. It was a holiday. And so we had to wait till Tuesday to get the final document signed from the original power of attorney. And then I believe later that day or the next day, the property ended up closing. So there was a lot of 
legal steps that had to be taken because of the situation and the nature of what was happening with the sellers and the reason why they had to sell. So I think that was a lot that you mentioned just now. I'm going to go over your story really quickly for our listeners in case they got lost. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Essentially, you guys had a property under contract. You guys agreed on an appropriate wholesale fee for you for finding the deal and getting on the contract. Everyone's on board, even us, the lender, we saw, okay, Ruben is getting this much money for wholesale fee. Mm-hmm. And we understand they're buying this final property for this amount for this certain leverage type and blah, blah, blah. Actually, we remember too, because originally like, you know, Sean and your partner, they are very experienced. We've done business with them in the past. We were actually able to do this deal without even needing to pull their credit score because we already had their stuff on file. Also, we're able to push up the LTV up to 90%, including your wholesale fee. So they don't have to come out of pocket for your wholesale fee. Okay. We usually don't do that for new clients. Usually we're capped at 80%. And then because you guys had the quote unquote hostile tenants inside, we decided to do a drive-by BPO, I believe, or we decided to do an appraisal after closing, after you guys got your those tenants out. And to do that, what Conventus does as a company is they will still do the loan, but they won't give you your full amount at closing. They'll do something called a holdback. So they'll hold back 7% of the loan amount until they can go inside and do a full appraisal and then give you the rest of the funds afterwards. Mm-hmm. But you know, we also saw that, dude, you guys got it for 1.3. It's worth 1.85 easily. Like this is a no brainer. Give, give you guys a loan. And then it was cool. But then, you know, like you said, right before end of the year, boom, your escrow company officer, whatever. She just said, Hey, we don't recognize wholesale fees. Wholesale fees are considered unlicensed broker fees. And that's not cool. Like we can't do that. So like, I agree. You know, like you, you're, you're not a broker, right? You're not really brokering anything. You are a wholesaler. You got this property on the contract. Therefore, you have equitable right. Therefore, you can sell that contract to somebody else. You know, different process. Mm-hmm. I understand now, you know, there are some escrow companies that don't do it because of liability issues. You know, obviously you're dealing with a wholesaler. There's some other person who's transacting on behalf of someone else, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay. But this surprised me because I thought, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, all tile and escrow companies were the same. Just a matter of like, how they operated, how fast are they, you know, how responsive they are to your questions. But here, this is like a company policy. They, they wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so you have to come out of escrow and do all that paperwork again with another company, which delayed by a long time. And now on top of that, one of the party members, one of the sellers was in jail. And I guess like his mom didn't have the proper power of attorney, like you mentioned. So they actually had to get his signature from jail. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I it would never think to sign closing docs in jail, but I guess it happens. Yeah. So you could see just like, just from the storyline, there was a lot going on with this whole situation. And for me, like I was taking everything in as it came. And so there was a lot of things that just flew over my head because I essentially was acting like, you know, at one point acting like the main buyer. Right. And then I, I swapped my position with another investor, I wholesaled the contract. And then just going through that process of going through the closing process with the original title company that we were working with, and then transferring the docs to another title company. And then all the roadblocks that we kind of encountered, you know, through the process, all this completely new. (laughs) I believe I experienced pretty much, you know, anything you can experience (laughs) when trying to close a deal. Is this your first property that you purchased? Like you, that you've gone through? 
Yeah, because you don't have your own property. You don't have rental properties either, right? So this is like your first one. No, yeah, no. Okay, awesome. This is my first one. So I was going through obstacle, through obstacle, through obstacle, but it never, you know, popped into my head that this wasn't going to close because I knew the situation of the sellers and they were at the point where they wanted this process to get done and wanted, they wanted to move on. They didn't want to deal with the tenants. They didn't want to deal with the property. They knew that in order to move on with their lives, this is what they had to go through, right? Yeah. And so it was one hell of a ride going through closing, switching title companies, and finally getting the final signature on those closing docs. Are you free to share how much you made on that wholesale transaction? Yes. So on the wholesale fee, I've made 50K, but I'm also going to be receiving more on the back end. Awesome. That's amazing. I mean, I think even just $50,000 is more than most people would ever imagine they would ever make in, you know, some like quote unquote side hustle, right? I mean, it took you a while to get there, but, you know, with persistence and consistency, you eventually got it. And this is just going to be the first of many opportunities in the future. Like, you know how it's done now. You can probably feel more confident and you have spare change. What's your plans? Like, what are you going to do with all that money? Just reinvest it, you know, reinvest it into the project if needed, reinvest it into learnings, into my own business. You know, seeing that finding a property, I could find a property with literally no money. I might just hold on to it and then start strategizing on the things that I could do with it. I haven't really thought about it fully through, but I know continuing going forward, I'll probably apply it to some direct mail because during summer, during COVID, I did a lot of driving for dollars. And so I found a lot of properties that, you know, obviously looking at a spreadsheet, you wouldn't know they're in the condition they are unless you were to go one by one. But, you know, I created my own list of distressed properties. And so I'm really excited about being able to send mailers to those properties. But I mean, I'm still going to continue reaching out to agents, working with agents because it's very low cost. Yeah. I mean, Elisa Covington, that's all she does. You know, she's a big flipper now making seven figures a year consistently for the past two years. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't spend any money on direct mail or cold calling. None of that. Just talking to agents, making friends now because she's so popular. She gets uh, free leads from her like Instagram DMS. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much in the direction I thought about going. And I think it's very possible because I hear in the Bay Area, you know, there's enough to go around for everyone. That's what I'm trying to say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very low cost. There's a lot of upside. Yeah. And also to your point, you got an amazing deal that was on the MLS, but it was on the MLS for like 200 plus days. Mm-hmm. Are you going to start targeting more of those type of properties? I haven't thought about it, but given the fact that, you know, there's a lot of properties that are sitting out there, it's definitely worth a try. I'm not going to shy away from any strategy, especially the strategy that you know, allowed me to found, find this deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say the only downside to wholesaling when it comes to you know doing projects on your own, if you ever do want to, is wholesaling does not count towards your experience. So even though you made money on a transaction because you weren't on title, you're not officially part of the deal, mm-hmm. it doesn't count towards your experience number. And experience matters when it comes to getting a better rate or better terms. As you saw with like Sean and his partner, like they got honestly like amazing rates, amazing terms, but it's because they're super experienced. And you know, like, I think one like small hack that you guys can do actually, this is for all the listeners out there. If you guys want more quote unquote experience, you can just buy a bunch of rental properties because that counts as experience. You know, 
if you're a landlord with multiple rental properties, even though they're cheap, it counts towards experience, which helps you get better rates for your hard money loans if you need them in the future. Yeah, even if that experience is like out of state, if you buy out of state rentals. Yes, that's true. That's right. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely something to keep in mind because yeah, rentals is the path to wealth, right? You definitely want to be making money while you sleep. That's a financial freedom. Yeah. Like I have rental properties and I haven't done a flip myself. Like I haven't bought a new flip myself in maybe two years, but because I have so many rental properties, when I go apply, like if I need to get another hard money loan, they're going to see, oh, Sean has so many rental properties, discounts his experience so I can get better terms and rates. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely had that thought of, you know, looking into rentals, especially out of state, but that's just another beast of its own, right? It's completely different from what you've been doing. Yeah, exactly. You know, like you're like prospecting for Bay Area deals. And I mean, with Bay Area, you can see like even a wholesaler can get 50K, 100K per deal. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Whereas out of state, you know, wholesaler might only get like maybe one, two, at most five, 10. Mm -hmm. I mean, my girlfriend and I, we just closed on a property yesterday. You know, can you guess how much you bought the property for? Less than 50K. 15, bro. Can you believe that? No way. Yeah. I mean, we've never had anything like this before. So honestly, I don't even know what to expect. You know, like it's so cheap. The rents are not bad, 650 a month. But like, what are the hidden like issues behind a small property like that? I have no idea. I'm, I'm venturing into these like cheap areas and they could go good or could go well or could go terribly wrong. No idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I definitely want to look into that more because I definitely at one point do want to hold property of my own, especially, you know, rentals, because with the state that we're in, housing is just in high demand nationwide mm -hmm. and it's only going to get more expensive, right? Whether it's in a year, uh, five years, 10 years, it's only going to go up. And so I feel like that's the end goal for most people anyway. Like you look at all the big flippers out there, their end goal is to just take that capital and then buy like rental properties because with rent with flipping houses, it's really good money, but it's active income. So you pay like fat taxes on them every single time. And then of course, like, you know, you did this big deal, but then it's like, it's done. So you need to find your next deal, you know? Exactly. And you're only as good as your last deal. Whereas rentals, it's like, okay, like it's there. It's making me money all the time. I'll sell it whenever I want to sell it. There's no rush. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, especially if I'm going to go, you know, if I'm going to go through this route of just calling agents and wholesaling deals or, you know, finding fix and flips uh, through agents. I figured, you know, whatever earnings I get from these projects or from these transactions, I can start creating a rental portfolio, right? Which ultimately is like the golden nugget that you want to achieve. Well, no, the end golden nugget is financial freedom. You get there through rental properties. Yeah, yeah. You get there through rental properties, but like, you know, you want to have that passive income, Right. And so I want to start building my stream of passive income through rentals. So then I can achieve financial freedom. So. Yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, congratulations again on your very first deal. I'm like super, super excited for you because I remember like, I remember meeting you when you were first hanging out at the meetups in like late 2017, early 2018. I remember having you on my podcast. I remember having you come to my house where we were like looking at different things and how to like analyze deals and all that stuff. And then to see that you did your first deal and then, you know, I was even able to help you with that, with the loan. Yeah. So it was like, it was really cool. You made more money in this one transaction that again, many people have ever made in their like entire careers with real estate. So that's again, super amazing. And I'm super excited to see where you go from here as well. 
So yeah, thank you guys for coming back on the show. Do you have any last minute tips that you'd like to give to our listeners before we finish up today? Yeah. You know, when you hear stay consistent and don't give up, you know, there's a lot of weight behind those words. I'm a testament to that. And, you know, if you stick around this real estate investing scene and you're you know, taking action, whether it's in waves or just being consistent, you'll eventually come across your first deal. And so, you know, if this is something that you want to do long-term and create wealth through real estate, you'll for sure be able to do it if you just don't give up and stay consistent. That's amazing. You know, four years of being consistent, you know, he, he didn't need to quit his day job or anything, but just stay consistent and over time you'll make it. And really you only need one, right? Like imagine just doing one a year. Like it may not feel good, but dude, an extra 50 grand a year, it's not bad. <laughs> you know, that goes a long way. It's definitely not bad. Exactly. It goes a long way. Awesome. Well, Ruben, where can people find you? You can find me through my email. You know, my email is uh, Ruben at at greenelectricproperties.com. You can also find me on Facebook, on Instagram. My handle is Ruben Barraza, my first and last name. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you'll be able to find me pretty quickly. I'm the only Ruben Barraza out there. So Sounds good. Well, Ruben, thanks again so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure having you on again. Thank you for having me. And, you know, great catching up with you, Sean. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.